0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of the Trial. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Trial by Charlotte Mary Young, Chapter Twenty-Eight. Hinder as woman, manliness and meekness in him were so allied that those who judged him by his strength or weakness knew but a single side j whittier it promised to be a brilliant christmas at stoneborough though little dicky regarded the feast coming in winter as a perverse english innovation and was grand on the superiority of supple jack above holly decorations had been gradually making their way into the minster and had advanced from being just tolerated to being absolutely delighted in but dr spencer with his knack of doing everything was sorely missed as a head and mr wilmot insisted that the may forces should come down and work the minster on the twenty third leaving the eve for the adornment of cocksmoor after the return of his incumbent mary always highly efficient in that line joined them and leonard's handiness and dexterity in the arts relating to carpentry were as quietly useful as little Dickie's bright readiness in always handing whatever was wanting the work was pretty well over when aubrey who had just arrived with leave for a week came down and made it desultory Dickie, whose imagination had been a good deal occupied by a soldier uncle wanted to study him and gertrude was never steady when aubrey was near presently it was discovered that the door to the tower stair was open the ascent of the tower was a feat performed two or three times in a lifetime at stoneborough harry had once beguiled ethel and mary up but gertrude had never gone and was crazy to go, as was likewise Dickie. Moreover, Aubrey and Gertrude insisted that it was only proper that Ethel should pay her respects to her prototype, the gargoyle. They wanted to compare her with him, and ordered her up. In fact, their spirits were too high for them to be at ease within the church, and Ethel, mogw her thirty years, partook of the exhilaration enough to delight in an extraordinary enterprise, and as nothing remained but a little sweeping up, they left this to the superintendence of mary and mr wilmot and embarked upon the narrow crumbling steps of the spiral stair that led up within an unnatural thickening of one of the great piers that supported the tower at the intersection of nave and transepts after a long period of dust and darkness and the monotony of always going with the same leg foremost came a narrow door leading to the ringer's region with all the ropes hanging down Ethel was thankful when she got her youngsters passed without an essay on them. She doubted if she should have succeeded, but for Leonard's being an element of soberness. Other little doors ensued, leading out to the various elevations of Roof, which were all sorts of different heights, the chancel lower than the nave, and one transept than the other. Besides that, the nave had both Triforium and Clear Story. It was a sort of labyrinth, and they wondered whether anyone— except perhaps the plumber's foreman knew his way among all the doors then there was one leading inwards to the eight bells from whose fascinations ethel thought dicky never would be taken away and still more charming to the clock which clanged a tremendous three as they were in the act of looking at it causing leonard to make a great start and then colour painfully it was hard to believe as daisy said that the old tower that looked so short and squat below "'could be so very high when you came to go up it, "'but the glimpses of the country "'through the little loophole windows "'were most inviting. "'At last, Aubrey, who was foremost, "'pushed up the trap-door and emerged. "'But, as Dickie followed him, exclaimed, "'Here we are, but you ladies and crinolines "'will never follow. "'You'll stick fast forever, "'and Leonard can't pass, "'so there you'll all have to stay.' aunt Daisy will sail away like a balloon added Dickie roguishly looking back at her and holding on his cap but gertrude vigorously compressed her hoop and squeezed through followed by ethel and leonard there was a considerable space square leaded and protected by the battlement parapet with a deep moulding round and a gutter resulting in the pipe-smoke by ethel's likeness the gargoyle of course the first thing dicky and aubrey did was to look for the letters that commemorated the ascent of h m e m m m in eighteen fifty two and it was equally needful that r r m if nobody else should likewise leave a record on the leads there was an r m of eighteen twenty that made it impossible to gainsay him the view was not grand in itself but there was a considerable charm in looking down on the rooks in their leafless trees pawing over their old nests and in seeing the roofs of the town far away too the gray Welsh hills, and between, the country lying like a map, with rivers traced in light instead of black. Leonard stood still, his face turned towards the greenest of the meadows, and the river where it dashed over the wheel of a mill. "'Have you seen it again?' asked Ethel, as she stood by him and watched his eye. "'No, I am rather glad to see it first from so far off,' he answered. "'I mean to walk over some day.' "'Ethel,' called Gertrude, is this your gurgle his profile as seen from above isn't flattering oh daisy don't lean over so far quite safe but at that instant a gust of wind caught her hat she grasped at it but only saved it from whirling away and made it fall short there ethel your image has put on my hat and henceforth will appear to the wandering city in a black hat and feather i'll get it exclaimed the ever-ready dicky and in another moment he had mounted the parapet and was reaching for it whether it were gertrude's shriek or the natural recoil away from the grasping hand or that his hold on the side of the adjourning pinnacle was insecure he lost his balance and with a sudden cry vanished from their eyes the frightful consternation of that moment none of those four could ever bear to recall the next they remembered that he could only fall as far as the roof but it was ethel and leonard alone who durst pressed to the parapet and at the same moment a cry came up oh come i'm holding on but it cuts oh come ethel saw some five-and-twenty feet below the little boy upon the transept roof a smooth slope of lead only broken by a skylight a bit of churchwarden's architecture still remaining the child had gone crashing against the window and now lay back clinging to its iron frame behind him was the entire height within the church floor before him a rapid slope ended by a course of stone wide enough indeed to walk on but too narrow to check the impetus from slipping down the inclination above ethel's brain swam she just perceived that both aubrey and leonard had disappeared and then had barely power to support gertrude who reeled against her giddy with horror oh look look ethel she cried i can't where is he there yes hold on dicky they're coming look up not down hold on a door opened and out dashed aubrey alas it was on the nave clerestory he might as well have been a hundred miles off another door and leonard appeared and on the right level but with a giddy unguarded ridge on which to pass round the angle of the tower she saw his head pass safely round but even then the horror was not over could he steady himself sufficiently to reach the child or might not dicky lose hold too soon it was too close below for sight the moulding and gurgoyle impeded her agonized view but she saw the child's look of joyful relief she heard the steady voice wait don't let go yet there and after a few more sounds came up a shout all right infinitely relieved she had to give her whole attention to poor gertrude who overset by the accident giddy with the attempt to look over horrified by the danger confused and distressed by the hair that came wildly flapping about her head and face and by the puffs of wind at her hoop had sunk down in the centre of the little leaden square clinging with all her might to the staff of the weathercock and feeling as if the whole tower were rocking with her absolutely seeing the battlements dance how was she ever to be safely got down the rickety ladder leading to the crumbling stone stair ethel knelt by her twisted up the fluttering hair bade her shut her eyes and compose her thoughts and then called over the battlements to aubrey who confused by the shock continued to emerge at wrong doors and lose himself on the roofs and was like one in a bad dream nearly as much dizzied as his sister to whose help he came the more readily as the way up was the only one plain before him the detention would have been more dreadful to ethel had she known all that was passing below and that when the little boy, at Leonard's sign, lowered himself towards the outreaching arms of the young man, who was steadying himself against the wall of the tower, it was with a look of great pain, and leaving a trail of blood behind him. When, at length, he stood at the angle, Leonard calmly said, Now go before me, round that corner, in at the door. Hold by the wall, I'll hold your shoulder. The boy implicitly obeyed the notion of giddiness never seemed to occur to him and both safely came to the little door on the threshold of which leonard sat down and lifting him on his knee asked where he was hurt my leg said dicky the glass was running in all the time and i could not move but it does not hurt so much now perhaps not but a large piece of glass had broken into the slender little calf and leonard steadied himself to withdraw as happily the fragment was large enough to give a hold for his hand the sensible little fellow without a word held up the limb across leonard's knee and threw an arm around his neck to hold himself still just saying thank you when it was over did it hurt much Dickie? not very much he answered but how it bleeds where's aunt ethel on the tower she will come in a moment said leonard startled by the exceeding flow of blood and binding the gash round with his handkerchief now i'll carry you down the boy did not speak all the worry winding way down the dark stairs but leonard heard gasps of oppression and felt the head lean on his shoulder moreover a touch convinced him that the handkerchief was soaking nay dripping and when he issued at length into the free air of the church the face was deadly white no one was near and leonard laid him on a bench he was still conscious and looked up with languid eyes mayn't i go home he said faintly aunt ethel let me try to stop this bleeding first said leonard my dear little Ben, if you will only be quiet i think i can leonard took the handkerchief from his throat and wound it to its tightest just above the hurt Dickie remonstrating for a moment with that's not the place it is too tight it will cut off the blood from coming said leonard and in the same understanding way the child submitted feebly asking shall i bleed to death mamma will be so sorry i trust-i hope not said leonard he durst utter no encouragement for the life-blood continued to pour forth unchecked and the next murmur was i'm so sick i can't say my prayers papa mamma already however leonard had torn down a holly bough and twisted off he would have given worlds for a knife a short stout stick which he thrust into one of the folds of the ligature and pulled it much tighter so that his answer was thank god dicky that will do the bleeding has stopped you must not mind if it hurts for a little while an ejaculation of poor little dear here made him aware of the presence of the sexton's wife but in reply to her offer to carry him into mrs cheviot's dicky faintly answered please let me go home and leonard yes i will take him home tell miss may it is a cut from the class i am taking him to have it dressed and will bring him home now my dear little patient fellow can you put your arms round my neck sensible according to both meanings of the word dicky clasped his friend's neck and laid his head on his shoulder not speaking again till he found leonard was not turning towards the high street when he said that is not the way home no dicky but we must get your leg bound up directly and the hospital is the only place where we can be sure of finding any one to do it i will take you home directly afterwards thank you said the courteous little gentleman and in a few minutes more leonard had rung the bell and begged the house-surgeon would come at once to dr may's grandson a few drops of stimulant much revived dicky and he showed perfect trust and composure only holding leonard's hand and now and then begging to know what they were doing while he was turned over on his face for the dressing of the wound bearing all without a sound except an occasional sobbing gasp accompanied by a squeeze of leonard's finger just as this business had been completed the surgeon exclaimed there's dr may's step and Dickie at once sat up as his grandfather hurried in nearly as pale as the boy himself oh grandpapa never mind it is almost well now and has aunt daisy got her hat what is it my dear what have you been doing said the doctor looking in amazement from the boy to leonard who was covered with blood they told me you had fallen off the minster tower yes i did said Dickie. i reached after aunt daisy's hat but i fell on the roof and i was sliding sliding down to the wall but there was a window and the glass broke and cut me but i got my feet against the bottom of it and held on by the iron bar till leonard came and took me down and he lay back on the pillow quiet and exhausted but bright-eyed and attentive as ever listening to leonard's equally brief version of the adventure didn't he save my life grandpapa said the boy at the close twice over you may say added the surgeon and his words as to the nature of the injury manifested that all had depended on the immediate stoppage of the hemorrhage with so young a child delay from indecision or want of resource would probably have been fatal "'There would have been no doing anything "'if this little man had not been so good and sensible,' "'said Leonard, leaning over him. "'And I did not cry.' "'You will tell, Papa, I did not cry,' said Dickie eagerly, "'but only half gratified by such girlish treatment "'as that agitated kiss of his grandfather "'after being a little bit of a hero. "'But then Dickie's wondering eyes really beheld "'such another kiss bestowed over his head upon Leonard, "'and quite thought there were tears on Grandpapa's cheeks.' perhaps old gentlemen could do what was childish in little boys dicky was to be transported home he wished to be carried by leonard but the brougham was at the door and he had to content himself with being laid on the seat with his friend to watch over him the doctor pointing out that leonard was a savage spectacle for the eyes of stoneborough and hurrying home by the short cut ethel met him in extreme alarm gertrude's half-restored senses had been totally scattered by the sight of the crimson traces on the spot of leonard's operations and she had been left to mary's care while ethel and aubrey had hastened home and not finding anyone there the latter had dashed off to bankside whilst ethel waited arranging the little fellow's bed and trying to trust to leonard's message and not let her mind go back to that fearful day of like waiting sixteen years ago nor on to what she might have to write to norman and meta of the charge they had sent to her her father's cheerful face at first was a pang and then came the rebound of gladness at the words he is coming no fear for him gallant little man thanks for god's mercy and to that noble fellow leonard at the same moment aubrey burst in no one at rights won't be in no one knows how long what is to become of us and he sank down on a chair ay what would become of any of us if no one had a better pate than yours sir said dr may you have one single perfection and you had better make the most of it that of knowing how to choose your friends there's the carriage after a moment's delay the cushion was lifted out with the little wounded cavalier still like a picture for true to his humming-bird nature a few scarcely conscious movements of his hands had done away with looks of disarray the rich glossy curls were scarcely disordered and no stains of blood had adhered to the upper part of the small person whereas leonard was a ghastly spectacle from head to foot so master Byrne, said dr may as they rested him a moment on the hall table give me that claw of yours yes you'll do very well only you must go to bed now and mind whatever you did when you were in fairyland we don't fly here in stoneborough and it does not answer i am not to go to bed for being naughty am i said dicky his brave white lip for the first time quivering indeed i did not know it was wrong the poor little man's spirits were so exhausted that the reassurance on his head absolutely brought the much dreaded tears into his eyes and he could only be carried up gently to his bed and left to be undressed by his aunt so great an aggravation to the troubles of this small fragment of independence that it had almost overset his courtesy and self-command. There was no contenting him till he had had all traces of the disaster washed from face and hands and the other foot. And then, over his tea, though his little clean shirt was weak, he must needs give a lucid description of Leonard's vantage, in the midst of which came a knock at the door, and a gasping voice, I'll be quite quiet, indeed I will, only just let me come in and kiss him and see that he is safe oh auntie daisy have you got your hat juan tear-stained disheveled gertrude bit her lip to save an outburst gave the stipulated kiss and retreated to mary who stood in the doorway like a dragon auntie daisy has been crying said Dickie, turning his eyes back to ethel please tell her i shall be well very soon and then i'll go up again and try to get her hat if i may have a hook and line i'll tell you how my dear dicky you had better lie down and settle it as you go to sleep, said Ethel, her flesh creeping at the notion of his going up again. But if I go to sleep now, I shall not know when to say my prayers. Had you not better do so now, Dickie? Next came the child's scruple about not kneeling, but at last he was satisfied if Aunt Ethel would give him his little book out of the drawer. That little, delicately illuminated book with the pointed writing and the twisted cipher made his hand in every touch. Presently he looked up and said, Aunt Ethel, isn't there a verse somewhere about giving the angels charge? I want you to find it for me, for I think they help me to hold on and help Leonard upon the narrow place. You know they are sure to be flying about the church. Ethel read the 91st Psalm to him. He listened all through and thanked her, but in a few minutes more he was fast asleep. As she left the room, she met Leonard coming down and held out her hands to him with mute intensity of thanks, telling him, in a low voice, what Dickie had said of the angel's care. "'I am sure it was true,' said Leonard. "'What else could have saved the brave child from dizziness?' Downstairs, Leonard's reception from Dr. May was, "'Pretty well for a nervous man. Anybody can do what comes to hand.' "'I beg your pardon. Somebodies lose their wits, like your friend Aubrey, who tells me—' If he had stood still, he would have fainted away. As long as nerves can do what comes to hand, they need not be blamed, even if they play troublesome tricks at other times, as I suspect they are doing now. Yes, my face is aching a little. Not to say a great deal, said the doctor. Well, I'm not going to pity you, for I think you can feel today that most of us would be glad to be in your place. I am very glad, said Leonard you remember that child's parents no you have grown so old that i am always forgetting what a boy you ought to be but if you had ever seen the tenderness of his father and that sunbeam of a meta you would know all the more how we bless you for what you have spared them leonard if anything had been needed to do so you have won to yourself such a brother in norman as you have in aubrey meantime ethel was soothing gertrude to whom the shock had been in proportion to the triumphal heights of her careless gaiety charles cheviot had come in while his wife was restoring her and he had plainly said what no one else would have intimated to the spoilt darling that the whole accident had been owing to her recklessness and that he had always expected some fatal consequence to give her a lesson gertrude had been fairly cowed by such unwonted treatment and when he would only take her home on condition of composure and self-command her trembling limbs obliged her to accept his arm and he subdued her into meek silence and repression of all agitation, till she was safe in her room, when she took a little bit of revenge upon Mary by crying her heart out, and declaring it was very cruel of Charles, when she did not mean it. And Mary, on her side, varied between assurances that Charles did not mean it, and that he was quite right, the sister now predominating in her, and now the wife. "'Mean what?' said Ethel, sitting down among them before they were aware. "'That—' then it was all my fault burst out Gertrude if it was i don't see what concern it is of his but daisy dear he is your brother i've got plenty of brothers of my own i don't count those people in law she's past reason with mary said ethel leave her to me she will come to her senses by and by but indeed ethel you won't be hard on her i am sure dear charles never thought what he said would have been taken in this way Why did he say it, then? cried Gertrude, firing up. My dear Mary, do please go down before we get into the pitiable last word condition. That condition was reached already, but in Ethel's own bedroom, Mary's implicit obedience revived, and away she went, carrying off with her most of what was naughtiness in Gertrude. Ethel, Ethel, dear! cried she at once. I know you are coming down on me. I deserve it all. Only Charles had no business to say it. "'And wasn't it very cruel and unkind "'when he saw the state I was in? "'I suppose Charles thought it was the only chance "'of giving a lesson, and therefore true kindness. "'Come, Daisy, is this terrible fit of pride "'a proper return for such a mercy as we have had to-day? "'If I didn't say so to myself a dozen times on the way home, "'only Mary came and made me so intolerably angry "'by expecting me to take it as if it had come from you or Papa. "'Ah, Daisy, that is the evil.' "'If I had done my duty by you all, this would not have been. "'Now, Ethel, when you want to be worse and more cutting than anything, "'you go and tell me my faults are yours. "'For pity's sake, don't come to that.' "'But I must, Daisy, for it is true. "'Oh, if you had only been a naughty little girl!' "'What?' "'And had it out then?' said Daisy, who was lying across the bed, "'and put her golden head caressingly on Ethel's knee.' "'If I had plagued you then, you would have broken me in out of self-defense.' "'Something like it,' said Ethel. "'But you know, Daisy, the little last treasure that Mamma left, it always seemed something we could not make enough of, and it didn't make you fractious or tiresome, at least not to us, till we thought you could not be spoilt. And then I didn't see the little fault so soon as I ought, and I'm only an elder sister, after all, without any authority.' no you're not to say that ethel i mind your authority and always will you are never a bother ah that's it daisy if i had only been a bother you might never have got ahead of yourself then you really think like charles cheviot that it was my doing ethel what do you think yourself great tears gathered in the corners of the blue eyes was it weak in ethel not to bear the sight my poor daisy she said "'Yours is not all the burden. "'I ought not to have taken up such a giddy company, "'or else I should have kept the boy under my hand. "'But he is so discreet and independent "'that it is more like having a gentleman staying in the house "'than a child under one's charge, "'and one forgets how little he is, "'and I was as much off my balance with spirits as you. "'It was a flightiness of us all, "'and we have only to be thankful "'and to be sobered for another time.' "'I am afraid that pride about being reproved is really the worst fault. "'And what do you want me to do? "'To go and tell Papa all about it? "'I mean to do that, of course. "'It is the only way to get comforted. "'Of course it is, but... "'You horrid creature, Ethel. "'I'll never say you are not a bother again. "'You really do want me to go and tell Charles Cheviot that he was quite right, "'and Mary that I'm ready to be trampled on by all my brothers-in-law in a row. "'Well, there won't be any more.' you'll never give me one that's one comfort said gertrude wriggling herself up and flinging an arm round ethel's neck as long as you don't do that i'll do anything for you not for me well you know that you old thing only you might take it as a personal compliment i really will do it for of course one could not keep one's christmas otherwise it was rather too businesslike but elders are often surprised to find What was a hard achievement in their time, a matter of course to their pupils, almost lightly passed over. Dickie slept till morning, when he was found very pale, but lively and good-humoured as ever. Mr. Wright, coming up to see him, found the hurt going on well, and told Ethel that if she could keep him in bed and undisturbed for the day, it would be better and safer, but that if he became restless and fretful, there would be no great risk in taking him to a sofa, restless and fretful. Mr. Wright little knew the discretion or the happy power of accommodation in circumstances that had descended to Meta's firstborn. He was quite resigned as soon as the explanation had been made. Perhaps, indeed, there was an instinctive sense that to be dressed and moved would be fatiguing, but he had plenty of smiles and animation for his visitors and when propped up in bed was full of devices for occupation moreover he acquired a slave he made a regular appropriation of leonard whom he quickly perceived to be the most likely person to assist in his great design of constructing a model of the clock in the minster tower for the edification of his little brother harry leonard worked away at the table by the bedside with interest nearly equal to the child's and when wire and cardboard were wanting he put aside all his dislike to facing the stoneborough streets and tradesmen in open day and at Dickie's request sallied forth in quest of the materials and when the bookseller made inquiries about the boy leonard in the fullness of his heart replied freely and in detail nay he was so happy in the little man's well-doing that he was by no means disconcerted even by a full encounter of mrs harvey anderson in the street but answered all her inquiries in entire oblivion of all but the general rejoicing in little dicky's wonderful escape well said aubrey to his sisters after a visit to his nephew's room dicky has the best right to him certainly to-day it is an absolute appropriation they were talking away with all their might when i came up but came to a stop when i went in and master dick sent me to the right about the truth was that dicky who with eyes and ears all alive had gathered up some fragments of leonard's history had taken this opportunity of catechizing him upon it in a manner that it was impossible to elude, and which the child's pretty tact carried off as it did many things which would not have been tolerated if done rudely and abruptly step by step in the way of question and remark he led leonard to tell him all that had happened and when once fairly embarked in the reminiscence there was in it a kind of peace and pleasure the fresh loving wondering sympathy of the little boy was unspeakably comforting and besides the bringing the facts in their simple form to the grasp of the childish mind restored their proportion which their terrible consequences had a good deal disturbed they seemed to pass from the present to the historical and to assume the balance that they took in the child's mind coming newly upon them it was like bathing in a clear limpid stream that washed away the remains of morbid oppression "'I wish Mamma was here,' said the little friend, at last. "'Do you want her? Are you missing her, my dear?' "'I miss her always,' said Dickie. "'But it was not that. Only Mama always makes everybody so happy, "'and she would be so fond of you, because you have had so much trouble. "'But, Dickie, don't you think I am happy to be with your grandfather and aunt, "'and hoping to see my own sisters very soon?' your aunt who taught me what bore me through it all aunt ethel cried Dickie, considering i like aunt ethel very much but then she is not like mamma there could be no doubt that leonard was much better and happier after this adventure reluctantly dicky let him go back to cocksmoor where his services in church decking and in singing had been too much depended on to be dispensed with but he was to come back with richard for the family assembly on christmas evening moreover gertrude who was quite herself again having made her peace with the cheviots and endured the reception of her apologies seized on him to lay plots for a christmas tree for the delectation of Dickie on his sofa and likewise of margaret rivers and of the elite of the cocksmoor schools he gave in to it hardly and on the appointed day worked with great spirit at the arrangements in the dining-room where gertrude favored by the captive state of the little boy conducted her preparations, relegating the family meals to the schoolroom. This tree was made the occasion for furnishing Leonard with all the little appliances of personal property that had been swept away from him. And, after all, he was the most delighted of the party. The small Charlie Cheviot had to be carried off shrieking, Margaret Rivers was critical, even Cocksmoor was experienced in Christmas trees, and Dickie, when placed in the best situation, and asked if such trees grew in New Zealand, made answer that he helped mamma to make one every year for the Maori children. It was very kind in Aunt Daisy, he added, with unfailing courtesy, but he was too zealous for his colony to be dazzled, too utilitarian to be much gratified by any of his gifts, excepting a knife of perilous excellence, which Aubrey, in contempt of Stoneborough Productions, had sacrificed from his own pocket at the last moment. Leonard and Dickie together were in a state of great delight at the little packets handed to the former. Studs, purse, pencil-case, writing materials, from Hector Ernscliffe a watch, with the entreaty that his gifts might be regarded as unlucky, from Ethel a photographic book, with the carts of his own family, whose old negatives had been hunted up for the purpose, also a recent one of Dr. May with his grandson on his knee, the duplicate of which was gone to New Zealand, with the doctor's inscription, the modern sauropedia, Astagis, confounded. There was Richard, very good, young, and pretty. There was Ethel, exactly like the doctor, only more so. There was Gertrude, like nobody, not even herself, and her brothers, much in the same predicament. There was the latest of Mr. Rivers's many likenesses, with the cockatoo on his wrist, and there was the least truculent and witch-like of the numerous attempts on flora there was mrs cheviot broad-faced and smiling over her son and mr and mrs ernescliffe pinioning the limbs of their offspring as in preparation for a family holocaust there was dicky's mamma unspoilable in her loveliness even by photography and his papa grown very bald and archidiaconal. there was ethel's great achievement of influence dr spencer beautiful in his white hair there were the vicar and the late and present headmasters the pleasure excited by all these gifts far exceeded the anticipations of their donors it seemed as if they had fallen on the very moment when they would convey a sense of home welcome and restoration he did not say much but looked up with liquid lustrous eyes and earnest thank yous and caressingly handled and examined the treasures over and over again as they lay round him on dicky's couch i suppose said the child to him it is like job when all his friends came to see him and every one gave him a piece of money he could hardly have enjoyed it more murmured leonard feeling the restful capacity of happiness in the new possession of the child's ardent love and of the kind looks of all around above all of the one presence that still gave him his chief sense of sunshine the boyish and romantic touch of passion had as ethel had long seen been burnt and seared away and yet there was something left something that as on this evening she felt made his voice softer his eyes more deferential to her than any one else perhaps she had once been his guiding star and if in the wild tempests of the night he had learnt instead to direct his course by the brightest and best of the suns of the morning still the star would be prized and distinguished As the first and most honored among inferior constellations. End of chapter twenty eight recording by nancy cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.